Daisy, and before I talk about that, I just want to pick up on something that, that uh, Lily said at the end, which was about zoonotic diseases and the transfer to humans that has happened as a result of our intensive agricultural policies. Um, there's a major paper that came out uh, in the journal Nature about an hour and a half ago, um, it, which demonstrates this is a global phenomenon and just means that the more pandemics are going to occur, many of which may be worse than the current one that we're in. So I absolutely reasons to be optimistic, but um, if you listen to Inside Science tomorrow at 4.30, you can hear all about that particular point. But I've just wasted a minute of my, uh, of my 15 minutes. I am a geneticist, as uh, Daisy just said, which means that I deal in evolution, in DNA, in, uh, in genes. But my work in the last few years has been primarily about race, and eugenics and the quintessential role that science has historically played in the invention of race and the enactment of eugenic policies all over the world. If you are a geneticist like me and you talk about genomes and DNA, you cannot not talk about race and the fact that it is a social construct and it is not rooted in a biological classification as we understand human variation today in the 21st century. So this has been a, a sort of unfortunate but inevitable direction for my research, for my writing. We've had the rise of nationalism and populism, which I think Simon Sharma was going to talk about. Unfortunately, he's trapped underneath a log right now. Um, the, the conversations about race have, have been propelled right back into the public discourse. And COVID has exacerbated this. The racialization of this disease uh, has occurred in, in two different ways, two separate distinct ways. First, the fact that its origin was in, in China. There have been more than 3,000 violent attacks on Chinese Americans and bizarrely on Korean Americans uh, since February. Uh, and, and that is a worldwide phenomenon as well. A student from UCL was beaten on Oxford Street in February um, for this exact reason. And the second reason is the fact that the risk of infection uh, and death is higher in Black and Asian Brits and in America in Black uh, Asian and Hispanic Americans, which can almost completely be explained by socioeconomic factors rather than some inherent biological racialization of this virus and, and this disease. Um, in the last 20 years, we've seen an incredible boom, an immense explosion in the study of genetics that was engineered effectively by the Human Genome Project, which uh, was, was completed 20 years ago. Uh, its anniversary was just uh, a couple of weeks ago. And there's been a similar interest from the public, which is absolutely great. Something happened which was unpredicted uh, by people like me and my colleagues, which is the rise of genetic ancestry testing kits, the tests that many of you will have done, where you spit in a tube and you send it off for 100 quid, and a couple of weeks later you get a sort of ancestral map of where... Uh, your, uh, where, where, from where you are descended. Now, I take a pretty dim view of these. There is actually no scientific method for establishing where your ancestors came from. That doesn't exist. These tests, what they do is they compare your DNA to other living people's DNA who have also participated, paid for their samples to be 
um, part of, of the company's database. And from that, you infer your ancestry, which is a reasonable thing to do, but it is not what they're actually selling. And one of the things that I've been talking about for the last few years is how inbred we are as a species, how our family trees are not trees at all, but they're actually sort of massive webs, and we're descended from the same people many times over. So perhaps the funniest example of this is uh, the case of Danny Dyer on Who Do You Think You Are? So Who Do You Think You Are? A terrific program where minor celebrities um, trace their ancestry using traditional forms of genealogy, which is looking at certificates for births, ma uh, marriages and, and deaths and things like that. And I don't know whether any of you saw this. It was a couple of years ago. Amazing piece of TV. And I suggest you look it up on YouTube when we're finished, uh, where Danny Dyer, who for I presume most of our viewers are British, if anyone beyond um, Britain is, is watching. Danny Dyer is a sort of actor. Um, uh, he's, he's a Cockney. Um, he's currently the manager of the Queen Vic in the, the long-running soap EastEnders. He's just a sort of Cockney wanker. Um, and in this program, they demonstrated that um, he was 22 generations directly descended from Edward III, the first Plantagenet king. Now, Dyer's reaction to this was priceless. He said, I need to get this into my nuts and then move on with my life. He said, I'm gonna treat myself to a massive rough, which is you know, funny, but historically anachronistic. Ruffs didn't really become fashionable until about the 16th century. Uh, he also said this, he said, my blood is his blood. I can't compute this in my brain. And I was watching this and I was thinking, I was writing a book about ancestry at this time and its relationship to genetics. And I thought, well, you know what? I think I can compute this in my brain. And I, I worked with a couple of colleagues at UCL, one of whom is Hannah Fry, uh, who Daisy mentioned at the beginning. And if you look very carefully, she's sitting on my sofa right now waving um, because we're writing a book together and she's doing some work while I'm doing this talk. Uh, so get back to work. Um, and we worked out, uh, we, we asked the question of whether, what, were the, what was the probability of anyone British being descended from Edward III if you have long-standing British ancestry? And I don't need to go through the maths because it's pretty complex, but basically we worked out that the chances of anyone with long-standing British ancestry not being descended from Edward III are zero. Absolute zero. The probability that none of my ancestors are descended from Edward III is, the number is, 0.9952 to the power of 32,000. So the, the fact that we focus in on these individuals because we can demonstrate um, this ancestry in programs like Who Do You Think You Are is a massive, well, it's very entertaining, but it's a massive betrayal of how ancestry actually works. Almost everyone in the UK and beyond is also descended from Edward III. Now, how does this relate to, relate to race? Well, the concept of racial purity is a total myth. What this means is that every Nazi has Jewish ancestry, every white supremacist has African ancestry, and I don't just mean in our deep ancestry uh, tens of thousands of years ago um, from our origins as an African species, but in the last few hundred or even thousand years. Every European has Viking ancestry, as well as ancestry from the people that Vikings conquered and the people that cleaned Vikings' shields and swords. So how can I say that with such confidence? Well, by the time you go back to, say, the 10th century, we reach what is known as the genetic isopoint. And this is a kind of a brain scrambling concept. Uh, so I need you to concentrate for just 30 seconds while I explain it, but it is mathematically and actually true. If you were alive at the isopoint, which is a time in history, and you have living descendants today, 
then you are the ancestor of everyone alive today. Okay, let me try that again in a different way. The isopoint is the time at which all branches of all family trees cross through all individuals. Is that any better? Here's a third way. Anyone alive at the isopoint is either the ancestor of everyone alive today or no one alive today. Yes? Right, I'm not going to do it again. I'm assuming you've got this now. So, for example, when someone like Richard Branson announces in a press release that he's worked out that he's descended from um, the Holy Roman Emperor Charlemagne, which is pretty cool. Well, it's true for him, but it's also true for literally every European person, because Charlemagne existed before the isopoint for Europe, which is the 10th century. Now, the isopoint for the whole world is something like three to four thousand years ago. So this is during the time of Ramesses II uh, or Confucius. And so humans are an incredibly inbred species. Our, our family trees are not trees. They are matted webs. Our lines cross through everyone. And within the last three or four thousand years, we are descended from exactly the same group of people. So the concept of racial purity is a total myth. But it is, of course, absolutely essential for white supremacists. And they have latched onto ancestry testing kits, genetic testing kits, as a means of demonstrating their, their ancestral purity, their Aryan purity. And this is exactly what happened in the, with the invention of race in the 17th and the 18th centuries, a sort of marshalling or a co-opting of science, in fact, pseudoscience as we now know, to provide crutches for a racist uh, political ideology. Now, I spend quite a lot of time in racist discussion forums online, places such as Stormfront uh, or 4chan or 8chan when it was around. I seriously advise that you do not do this. They are amongst the most hate-filled places that I have ever come across. I do it so you don't have to. I don't really do this for fun. I'm doing this to monitor the conversations about genealogy and genetics that are occurring amongst hardcore self-describing white supremacists or racists. Now, one of the things that happens when you look at the conversations that focus on commercial genetic ancestry testing kits is that you see a lot of discussions about that. In fact, the majority of discussions include apparent demonstrations of their racial purity. But occasionally you see, well, I, I guess I can't hide my sort of bitter enjoyment of tiny shafts of light in these otherwise filthy pits. And I've been tracking these responses when people do these tests, white supremacists do these tests, and they discover that they have recent ancestry from people who they despise, from people who are not Northwestern Europeans. Um, and I've been doing this for several years and logging these responses. And, in, and a couple of years ago, in 2018, an academic paper was published that did exactly that. It documented more than 3,000 of these comments um, from people who discovered that they had non-Aryan, uh, in parentheses, uh, ancestry. Now, the first thing to say is that not one single one of the comments resulted in any kind of epiphany that maybe being a white supremacist was problematic. Uh, none of them had this epiphany at all. But all of the responses fell into four or five very specific categories. Now, the first one was this, try another company for a different result. Now, that isn't actually as bonkers as, as it might initially seem. The different companies like 23andMe or Ancestry.com or others use different genetic panels to compare your DNA to. So you do actually get uh, different results from, from different companies. The second response was, well, we're now into conspiracy theory along the same lines, though. It goes like this. 23andMe is run by Jews. 
try another company for a different result. The third most common response was 23andMe is run by Jews who plant false information in the results to sow racial disharmony, try another company for a different result. I, I have no idea why Jewish people would want to plant uh, false information to sow racial disharmony, but that's what happens on these forums. And the fourth most common one was emblemized by um, th this particular comment, this is a direct comment, uh, when someone discovered that he had recent Ashkenazi Jewish ancestry and he was a, a self-describing Nazi, the response was, look in the mirror, if you don't see a Jew, you're okay. Now, I mean, that seems to somewhat undermine the whole point of uh, abusing and misusing science to assert your ancestry if you can just deny it, but uh, that's the way it is. Now, just in the last couple of minutes, I wanna, I wanna talk about, well, you know, I said at the beginning that I spent a lot of time talking about race and genetics. I'm a, I, do you know what I care about most? I care about genomes, I care about evolution, and wish I didn't have to write this book. Um, but I wanna tell you about one of the greatest stories in recent years for our understanding of human evolution, and yes, how it's been co-opted by white supremacists. And it concerns milk, right? Now, all of the speakers here uh, are, from just, just from looking at them, are of recent European descent. Um, I can tell that because they mostly have pale skin. And I'm guessing that many of the, the people listening or watching are the same, of recent Euro European descent. And what that means, from a biological point of view, is that you can all drink milk. And I know that sounds like a peculiar thing to say to an audience, but the strange thing is that this is highly unusual. Most people on earth, and indeed most people in history, cannot or could not drink milk after weaning without suffering from terrible tummy troubles. And this is all down to an enzyme called lactase, and lactase breaks down the sugar that occurs in milk, which is called lactose. Biologists are really bad at naming things. And it is active, lactase is active during infancy while we are breastfeeding. But for most people on earth today and for most people in history, that enzyme lactase is shut down by the time that we are four or five years old, so after weaning. Um, what that means is that most adults are lactose intolerant. But about 8,000 years ago, and we know this by looking at the genomes of people alive today and looking at the genomes of people who've been dead for thousands of years, which we can now do, we've been able to do that for the last five, five to 10 years. By looking at those genomes, we can tell exactly where the mutation occurred and when that allows Europeans to drink milk into adulthood that most of the people on earth didn't acquire. We know that it happened somewhere in Northern Europe, probably somewhere in what is now Germany, about 8,000 years ago. We know that we were already dairy farming at that time. We were making soft cheeses, we were making yogurts, but the sugar, lactose, is already digested in those dairy products. But we know, also know that the acquisition of this mutation, which allows us to process lactase into adulthood, occurred after we started dairy farming and we began to drink milk. And that is the reason why we have milk in our tea or on our cereal or why we drink milk at all, because most people can't do it. And that is a result that I, I just love. I mean, I love that. That is such a wonderful piece of, of science and history combined. It's, it's indistinguishable from magic. Alas, the white supremacists have got hold of this. And yes, they have fucked it up royally they have somehow got hold of this piece of information and now believe that this uh, 
an ostentatious showcasing of this random mutation that nature selected that allows us to drink milk uh, throughout our life is somehow associated with their assertion of racial superiority. So in 2018, a few years after this, this result was published in the academic literature, in America, white supremacists introduced a new way of showing off this supposed racial super superiority, which is that they filmed themselves chugging milk, right? That is gulping down cow's milk with their shirts off um, whilst drinking and listening to heavy metal. Now I'm gonna try and show you a video of this. So what I'm gonna do now is share my screen and show you this. It's only four seconds long. And here we go. If this is working, let me just maximize that. Yep, there you go. There is the master race uh, demonstrating their racial superiority by drinking gallons of milk. Isn't that terribly impressive? Um, so back to me. Um, <laughs> The punchline to this, it's very easy to mock these people because obviously they are ridiculous and hateful. And in some ways, mocking them is a mark of one's own uh, privilege because we mostly are not the people to whom white supremacists and Nazis were uh, targeting with their policies and actions. But the punchline I think is worth saying because it is funny and the one thing these people hate more than anything else is mockery. But they make it so easy. They are presumably unaware that exactly the same mutations in the gene for lactose occurred independently at high frequency in Kazakhs, Ethiopians, the Tutsi in Rwanda, the Khoisan in Southern Africa, and basically everywhere on earth where dairy farming was a significant part of their agricultural evolution. And that doesn't just include milk from cows and goats, but camel milk from pastoralists in the Middle East. So to finish off, um, science was an integral part of the construction of race in the 18th and 19th century, but its trajectory has been to dispel the biological concept of race completely. Race is real because we perceive it. Racism is real because we enact it, but neither have a foundation in science. And my job and the purpose of the book and everyone's job in fact, is to contest the bastardization of science to support racist ideologies. You cannot have my tools to justify your bigotry. And when it comes to the white supremacists, maybe it is just futile. Let me end with a quote from Jonathan Swift from 1721, which is, reasoning will never make a man correct an ill opinion by which reasoning he never acquired. Thank you.